This is Monocle on Design Extra. It's a short show to accompany our weekly programme where we discuss everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Maylie Evans. New York Design Week, or NYC by Design, has wrapped for another year. The annual showcase of the city's gallerists, studios, designers and curators takes place in venues across Manhattan, Queens and Brooklyn. Monocle's US editor Chris Lord went along to meet some of those participating and joined our design editor Nick Manis down the line to discuss what he found. First, Chris begins by setting the scene for this year's event. This year was really interesting because you've had a tricky few years for, for New York. It had a rough pandemic. It had a rough aftermath of, you know, a lot of people not coming back to the city or not coming back to their downtown offices and the place felt very quiet. And I think now what you're seeing in New York is it's sort of rushed back with full gusto. And I think this design week really kind of encapsulated that a little bit. And what was very interesting to see, I think, as well, is the sheer volume of galleries that are opening or have opened quite recently. And I went to speak to uh, Amanda Pratt of Salon Design and I asked her, you know, is New York Design Week a showing week or a selling week? I think every gallery approaches New York Design Week as an opportunity to showcase new work, to really kind of make a splash. But I think in the process of doing that, I hope the work that we put out there resonates with, you know, our clients. And so, yeah, I hope they buy things. That would be wonderful. Now, you talked about new work making a splash. And of course, a lot of the works that are in your gallery right now have that theme of the ocean, of the coast. Talk me through some of the work here from Lawn Studio. This is a collaboration between Molly and Rachel, the two founders of Lawn, and Chet Callahan, who's an architect in L.A. And it was really inspired by Mondo Beach, which is a wonderful surf break. They really love that particular surf break because it's not territorial. And so they created works that were inspired by the beach and that are for outdoors. And they used a lot of that materiality from surfing, like neoprene, puffiness, the concept of curves and waves to create these incredibly eye-catching works. And they are amazing forms. As you say, you can see almost a, a horizon line within the, within the yeah. tuck of the sofa, can't you? Yes, absolutely. And if you're a surfer, which I happen to be... If this is what the surf looked like, I would be so happy. It would mean wave after wave. And so even the seat ripples. And so a year ago, Amanda, you moved from Boston to here in New York, brought your gallery here to this historic building in Soho, Tribeca, on the the border between these two historic neighborhoods. How's it been? It's been wonderful. I think our client base has always been very New York-centric. You know, much like Milan, it is really a design hub. Chris, I I really enjoyed hearing that that particular last exchange with with Amanda. I mean, obviously, New York is, I guess, the biggest city on the the eastern seaboard. It's the most significant one. Was there a sense that it's being threatened by the likes of Miami, which has its own design week or or any of those others? Or is it confident, I guess, in in itself again? There's two sides to that, I think. And this is a question that I think hovered around quite a lot is in the last 10 years, there have been these other design hubs like Miami that have come along. And also, to some extent, where I am right now in Los Angeles, where you do have you know, extraordinary real estate, people with big houses to fill full of contemporary design. So there are the collectors here in Miami. You've got a big concentration of galleries. You've also got major shows like Design Miami, which are are there. Um, But I think in New York, what makes it a bit different in some respects is it's got this long history of making in the city. You still have a big contingent of fabricators of very, very high quality that you can find in the city. And I think that actually leads quite nicely to to the next gallery that I went to see, which is Egg Collective. And I went 
went to talk to Crystal Ellis there. Now, Egg Collective is... Crystal explains, uh, you know, they've got this deep engagement with makers and making throughout their history. Amazing. Let's hear from Crystal now. When we began the company 11 years ago, we started it actually with a space in a wood shop, and it was the three of us who were making the pieces at that point in time. We do still maintain actually our own wood production, so we have a maker space where we create all the wood pieces in our collection in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And then we work with local manufacturers of stone, glass, metal, other materials that are outside of wood to create the rest of the pieces within our line. And so we're seated on one of your fantastic sofas. We're not quite sure what colour it is, though. What would you call it? <laughs> it's a great question. Maybe... Canary, I said earlier. And you looked at me with some, dis- with, with some disdain. I like, I like canary. I like canary. I said pale sunflower, which is maybe a bit more pretentious than canary. Uh, buttercream in front of this uh, canary yellow sofa is a dark cork coffee table. And then scattered throughout the rest of the space, we have the other designs that are in this collection, ranging from a very small wall cabinet that's actually shaped like a heart and the idea of it is that it's where you store your most precious of objects back through the space to our fortune tiling coffee table system which is inspired actually by an image we saw of a snake traveling through sand leaving behind this like perfectly sinuous trace of its path through that material. So that was Chris Ellis of Egg Collective there, one of the three co-founders of the brand. And their great show, Snake Eyes, just opened, as she explained there. They've got this amazing assortment of pieces from out there throughout their history, going back to really some of the origins of the brand, but also very, very new work and also a collection of contemporary art pieces, sort of, if you like, almost that feels a bit of a response to what you're seeing in the design. So really, really interesting brand. We've talked to two US brands there, but I know this was New York Design Week is a particularly international event as well. Who else did you see? Mm. Were were there contingents from Asia? Was there a big uh, European turnout? What was the, I guess, the the mix of, of designers there like? So going between galleries, it was amazing to see, I mean, this is New York, so it's an international place, of course, but just to see how many collectors were sort of, you know, wandering around, engaging with with interesting new work. There's clearly right now a lot of, especially the ones that I went to saw around the sort of Tribeca area, a lot of appetite now for new design, people coming back to New York and, you know, people talking about it as the hub for design for the US, despite all those challenges like Miami waiting in the wings. But I did go and see, and it's a bit of a tradition during, Uh, New York Design Week or NYC by Design uh, for Lee Broom, the British lighting designer, to open up his home actually in Tribeca, a penthouse apartment, an incredible space as it is. And he puts his lighting pieces all through his own home. But you also get to see these works in situ. And he's got this incredible body of work, which he debuted initially in Milan last year, but really amazing engagement with religious spaces that he's turned into these fantastic lighting pieces, really, really unusual. And and this was Lee explaining a little bit about them now. It was basically me looking into initially brutalist architecture and sculpture. And I started finding that all the places that I really loved were places of worship. And then that opened a kind of new page into looking at modernist places of worship and then looking into temples and then going back to antiquity. And it was sort of like this wealth of like information that in a way without these places there'd be no history of art and there'd certainly be no design as we know it now and I started to then produce pieces all lighting that were all inspired by those different 
beautiful and monumental places and each of them has a certain narrative from a temple a mosque a cathedral and a different place in history and I presented it in a gallery in Milan in the Brera district but the gallery itself had sort of an ecclesiastical tone to it people were very moved actually when they came through with the soundtrack it was sort of quite immersive and spiritual and now bringing it here into the penthouse and into my home it's really kind of showing how those pieces can be taken out of that very theatrical experiential environment and into something more residential but still calming you know and still sacred and there is something very calming about the sacred I think. 40% of your business is right here in the U.S. Give me a read, as someone who's not from here, a read on what the American design scene wants right now, what buyers want out there, what they're looking for. They are wanting uniqueness. Everybody wants a one-off. They want something that's, like, adaptable to them. Obviously, we can't do that with all of our products, but one thing that I did want to do with my collections was to enable designers, our customers and clients to be able to put their own stamp on it. So to be able to create constellations of lights or to be able to adapt them in some way that's specific to them. So they are still getting something a little bit unique, but it still has an overarching Lee Broom design ethos to it as well. That was Lee Broom there. Now, Chris, we've heard from, you know, American designers, British designers. We've got a pretty good sense of, of what actually happens during New York Design Week. What are the takeaways, I guess, on the, on the New York scene and, and perhaps why they should venture there throughout the year? I was struck, Nick, by how much energy was in and around Tribeca Soho right now. You know, Tribeca as an area has, has risen and fallen in some cases over the years and has sort of it's had these mixed fortunes and people have rushed in and opened stuff and then rushed out as things change right now there's a real energy there and just walking around that you know those days that I was in New York around Tribeca you know new galleries opening left right and center interesting ideas big spaces lots of ambition there and I think while that is in some respects, quite focused on contemporary art. I think that design really does have a big place there. Um, and just, you know, what I think reminds you when you go to some of these spaces is, you know, New York has some big spaces to work with. You know, you go into some of these galleries uh, of brands that are maybe only, you know, design uh, galleries that are maybe only a few years old, and they can get into these huge, really impressive spaces, giving them the, the, the sort of canvas, if you like, to do something really interesting. So, it, you know, New York is, is in a good place, I think, in many ways right now, certainly in its creative scene, uh, and it's a good time to be there, I'd say. My thanks to Monocle's US editor, Chris Lord, and of course, our host, Nick Manise. That's all for this week. If you're eager for more design stories, then listen to Tuesday's edition of Monocle on Design. Or if you prefer print, then pick up a copy of Monocle magazine on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced by me, Maylee Evans, with studio managing from Steph Chungu. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.